Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitmiles.com. Thanks for listening. The grass withers and the the flowers fall because the wrath of the Lord blows on them. Surely, people are like grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. In our disposable and throwaway world, aren't you glad that there are There is something that lasts forever. God's Word lasts forever. There's something that you can count on today. You can count on it tomorrow. The Word of the Lord lasts the test of time. It stands the test of eternity. God's Word. Mark 13, 31 says this, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. How's that for a lasting effect? God's Word, it's here for good. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word, it's a lamp for my feet. It's a light for my path. God's Word is a, a lamp. It, it, in other words, it's, it's a spotlight to light our paths. It gives us direction so we, we can not only see where to go, but we can see what to avoid. He's given us His Word for direction and guidance. In fact, God's Word is the only way to successfully live as a Christian. God's Word gives us enough light to navigate this dark world. I love this verse in Psalm 143, verse 8. It says this, Let me hear of your unfailing love, for I am trusting in you. Show me where to walk. I give myself to you. And, and watch this from Joshua 1.8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you are sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. You want a key to prosper? You want a key to being successful in life? Then study God's Word, this book of instruction. Study it carefully. Meditate on it day and night. And, and be sure to obey everything in it. Then you will be prosperous. You will succeed. You see, God doesn't want us to fail. God does not want us to fail. He wants us to succeed. To, but we have to follow Him if we want to succeed. Stay on the right path, on the lighted path. Or we stumble in darkness. He leads us in paths of righteousness. I love the 23rd Psalm. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You say, well, what do you mean by his namesake? Well, what I mean is this. You were bought with an incredible price. He has a big investment in you. (laughs) But in order for us to succeed, we have to follow the lighted path. His word gives us that light. He he would not have given us his word if, if that were the case. So, look, to live according to God's word is not to is not a simplistic or uh, it's, it's not just rehearsing uh, or reciting the scriptures. Instead, to live by God's word means you design your life in a way that reflects his teaching. 
So God wants you to, to live your life in tune with Scripture. So, so what you think about, you're thinking about what he's teaching throughout the day, and you put it into action. You walk it out. You walk it out. Isaiah 55, starting at verse 8, says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. You see, I need God's Word to, to redirect um, how I'm thinking. Because we were born into this world, created in God's image, but fallen. My thinking's messed up. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we need somebody who has some thoughts other than what we have in our own head. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stinking thinking that happens in people, people's lives in the world today. Now watch this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. He said, that's what my word does. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word. God's word. Now, the one who speaks these words to the prophet Isaiah makes a claim of ultimate, unchallenged, unrivaled authority for his own words. Whatever he says becomes exactly what he says, exactly when he says it. It will not return to me empty or void. It will accomplish what I desire. It will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Do you want that kind of word guiding your life? You say, listen, the, the God's word that I've hidden in my heart my life the, the word that is there to, to guide my path, to light my path and, 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 and my, you know, where, where the direction in life that I'm headed. That kind of word that is that powerful, that, that flows in us and through us. Who makes this claim? You say, well, who is it that said, listen, my word won't return empty. I'm going to accomplish what I desire. I'm going to achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God makes it. Well, who made that claim? Well, it's the God of the Bible. It's the God of, of Adam. It's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Joshua and Jesus. It's the God, the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the one before whom there is no other, by whom all things were made and in whom all things hold together. He's the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning and the end, the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator, savior, and sustainer, our buckler, our shield, our champion, our deliverer. He's the one who said, listen, my word is going to do what I've said it's going to do. It's everlasting. He's faithful, gracious, completely holy. He's just and forever kind. He is God unto himself and all by himself. And he said, my word my word will accomplish what I've set out for it to do. This God, our God, has proven the absolute authority of his word. In fact, it's interesting. If you, you open up the Bible and right out of the box, it says, and God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. And God said, let there be expanse between the, the waters. Separate waters from waters. And guess what? It was so. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let ground, dry ground appear, and it was done. You're standing on it. And God said, God's, God's word, his word, what he said will be accomplished. Well, you got enough already this morning? You want some more? 
All right. I got more. You knew that. Take your Bibles and turn with me. The New Testament. The book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. That's what our text is for this morning. We're in a series entitled Walk It Out. We're talking about putting our theology in shoe leather. It's where the intersect of our faith is fleshed out in our living. This is the, where the, the, the real Christians stand up and pick up their cross daily and walk it out and live it out and put it on display. It's, it's where we walk out of the safety of the church huddle and we become the church in the world. Lead others to follow Christ. We walk it out. Last week we talked about how to walk out our prayer life. Here's a question. How have you walked out your prayer life these last seven days? How's it worked for you? How, what, what are the things that you're doing? What, what, here's another question. What plan do you have to continue to walk out prayer in your life? This week we're talking about the importance, if you haven't got it already, the importance of God's Word, reading Scripture, the importance of God's Word. We're going to be looking at fasting. We're going to be looking at witnessing in the weeks ahead. Um, we're going to explore community and our opportunity and responsibility to engage with other believers. And let me just say it again as we start. Say it so that we understand, so there's no misunderstanding. And, and here's what's been clearly established for us in this series so far. It's positively clear in Scripture. Here it is. We're talking about the things that we do, the, 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 the works of, of, of uh, the evidence of faith. And, and this is clear in in, in Scripture, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And nothing I'm going to say today is going to distract from that. Okay? But as the book of James reminds us, we show our faith. He said, you show me you know, your faith, I'll show you my faith by what I do. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 is our text this morning. Read with me. Now, again, Paul, who's sitting in prison, and Paul here is, he's writing about some perilous times. He's, Paul is, is in prison, and yet he's preoccupied with the future of the gospel. What's going to happen to this gospel that he has been giving his life for, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 says. So here's Paul, an apostle. By the way, his name was, he was renamed. His name was Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. And God met him. He had an experience with God where God arrested him on the road and, and blinded him so he could see the truth. And, and indeed, not, not only did God change Saul's name, Saul to Paul, he changed his, his direction, his purpose, um, his, his calling in life. And we have the Apostle Paul's writings here before us. Paul is concerned about the perilous times that his young Timothy, this, this man that he's mentoring, he's concerned about the perilous times that he's living in, and he's concerned about the future of the gospel. He's preoccupied with it. And he's also, he has seen the, the strong influence of evil in the world. And the strong influence of evil causes an indifference in, oftentimes in people's lives. 
And he's warning young Timothy to be on guard for that. And so here he's talking. In, in, so in chapter 3, verse 1, mark this. Of all the important things that the Apostle Paul has written, and he's written so much of, of, of the, the New Testament, we have God's Word in writing. By the way, um, not only did the Apostle Paul point to, to the, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, what he knew had been written, he also was aware of the fact that God, you see this, by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, he knew that the words that he, were, he was speaking were not words from his own mouth, but they were words that God was breathing out through him. And so even there are places in Scripture where Paul actually talks about the words that he is writing, the letters that he is writing to people, and he, and he refers to them as the Word of God. That's this understanding of, of Scripture that is inspired. God working through, you know, it's interesting, Dr. Luke, if you read his, his, his uh, gospel account, it takes on some of the flavor of a doctor. So some of the nature of a doctor, of the Paul, it takes on the flavor, but they also understood more than just the personality. It was the, the, the Spirit of God was ordaining the words that were being written. Paul refers to that, and he says, mark this. Now, of all the things that he says that he's written so far, he says, mark this. When he says, mark this, we ought to mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. What are the last days? Well, it could, it could refer to um, all of the time since Pentecost. So Christ came, he lived on the earth, um, he was crucified, he was resurrected, he appeared to many, he ascended into heaven, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to come back in the way that you've seen me go, don't worry, I'm going to send the comforter to you, the Holy Spirit, he not only will be with you, he will be in you, and he said, but I want you to wait in Pentecost, and you see the church of, of Christ being birthed in, in, in Acts 2, and so these times, all of these times, these perilous times, could refer to the times, the last days, any time after Pentecost, it could also refer, as, as you and I are probably maybe closer to now than, than, um, than, than the, the days of Pentecost, the, the return of Christ, okay, the last days, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Now, just read with me and see if you don't identify some of the world that we live in today. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Let me let me stop long enough to say this, this issue of without love. Don't wuss out on me when it comes to love. I have not loved someone less by telling them what they need the most. I can love someone and disagree with them. Okay? And too many times people get confused and they say, well, listen, if I'm going to love somebody, that means I have to agree with everything that they're saying. No, it doesn't. 
Don't wuss out on me when it comes to love. You love, see, greater love, see, this, this love that someone has for someone when you disagree with some and, and you can still love them. Now, that's impressive to me. Love. Unforgiving, slanderous. All the things that people say. It seems, again, you've heard me say this, the higher the monkey goes up the pole, the easier it is to get a shot at his butt. Right? What is it about those in leadership that we think we have the opportunity, even the right, somehow, to take down a notch or two? Slanderous. Whatever we could say about someone to to take them down. Slanderous, without self-control. Brutal. That's the opposite of kindness. I don't know how many there are here this morning. If we all went out and were just kind this week, I bet we could impact our community. Just by being kind. Not lovers of the good. Treacherous, rash, conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now watch this, having a form of God in this, but denying its power, having, it says, have nothing to do with them. You see, there's, it, it, well, keep on going. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. So not only is this kind of thing creeping into the world, it has crept into our homes. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. You see, it's as if there's nothing that's taboo. Breaking all the rules, no inhibitions, no boundaries. Salad bar Christianity. <sighs> Salad bars are a Good place to get germs. That's some, you know, you stop and think about things like that more now than ever, but it's like, who has touched this and what is that all about? Salad bar. Salad bar Christianity is dangerous too because it's like, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take that, I don't want any of that. You know, no peas for this palate. Um, I want some of this, and I'm going to say, like, somehow we can, we can order up a concoction that might be pleasing to us for a moment. Um, and, and what happens is, in our world today, there are people who love to feel spiritual, but there is no sense of obligation to be biblical. That's crazy. Now look at this. He says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. Now, who was Janus and, and, and Jambres? So they're not listed in the Exodus account, but these, these then point back to those magicians who were opposing Moses when Moses was standing in front of Pharaoh. And so they were pretty powerful when, when Moses threw his, his rod down and became a snake, and they threw their rod down and became a snake. 
and he, they, could, they could create, uh, you know, uh, 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 blood in the water. And so, and they did too. And, and Moses, the, the plague of frogs, and then real power, they, they created the satanic, um, antichrist kind of power. They, they created all those things, but at some point, they couldn't keep up with Moses. Remember Moses, he throws his, his, his rod down and becomes a snake, and they do too, and then Moses' rod eats their snakes. Well, that would have been one of those aha moments. Sit there and take a look at that and say, hmm. Opposing the truth. They're men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You... However, know all about my teaching. Paul saying, Timothy, you know what I've taught you, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? In Antioch, he, he got kicked out of the city. In, in, in Iconia, um, they, they set out to um, to attempt to stone him. In Lystra, they actually did stone him and left him for dead, thought he was going to die. He said, you remember all those things. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. One of the things we could probably put as a test for our life is, are you facing persecution as a Christian? If you are, then maybe what Paul is identifying here is you are living your life in such a way that the world sees it and knows it, and they're, and they're resisting you. If you're not living, you say, I'm a Christian, I'm living a Christian life, but you face no persecution, While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned. And what you've, become, and what you've become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. We're talking about God's Word the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For every good work. God's Word. It's so available to us. It's as close as your phone, maybe as close as a nightstand in, in all hotels across our nation. The Bible is handed down from generation to generation. Some 80 million Bibles are printed every year. Someone has, has made this estimation that there are between 5 and 7 billion copies of the Bible printed in the last 1,500 years. Nowhere near the national debt, but... between 5 and 7 billion copies of the Bible printed in the last 1,500 years. The Guinness World Book of Records tells us that the Bible is the best leading book of all time. It's interesting that the, 
the Bible is the one that um, commands us, thou shalt not steal, but it's the most um, stolen book in, in the world, right? Um, the Bible helped frame the moral framework uh, for the American Constitution, and yet the Bible is also the most banned book in the world. Of course, you know from history that Stalin attempted to ban the Bible. North Korea today has banned the Bible. Christians must practice their faith in silence. They can't worship. They can't pray. If they're caught with a Bible in their hands today, they could face up to 15 years in a work camp. <clears throat> the Bible has been one of the most challenged books in classrooms, public libraries. American Library Association in 2015 said that the Bible was the most challenged book. Been criticized, challenged, banned by individuals, groups, and governments um, for centuries. What other book has that kind of reaction? It's absolutely essential. Look, it's absolutely essential that you believe the Word of God if you're going to know anything spiritually. Paul looked at Timothy and he said, you know from infancy, be convinced, continue in what you have learned, become convinced of it. If you're going to have victory in your spiritual life, if you're going to walk it out, you're going to have to believe the Bible. Dr. J. Sidlow Baxter in one of his books said this, he said, the biggest division, this is interesting, the biggest division, and now he's, he's um, long gone to heaven, but Here's what he said years ago. The biggest division between Christians is no longer between one denomination and another, but between those who accept the Bible as an inspired word of God and those who don't. And isn't that true? Aren't we seeing that played out in our, in our life? The battle today is over the word of God. You either believe it or you don't. Here's the thing about the Bible. Remember that salad bar? You don't get to take half of it, part of it, some of it, and reject some of it. Now, the Bible has been misinterpreted from time to time. But God's Word, the truth of who He is, it always has been, always will be truth. The thing that keeps me going, by the way, are not feelings. I'm, I'm thank God for feelings, and, you know, I'm... Um, I don't always show it, and sometimes I think I show it too much. Um, I, somebody told me um, a week ago, he said, you cry too much. I said, yeah, I know. Sometimes I do. Um, feelings. What I cry about these days is a little different than it used to be, though. I'll tell you that. But I don't, I don't operate on feelings when it comes to my faith. The things that keep me going are not what I feel about what I know. The things that keep me go, going is what I know is true. That's what keeps me going. The truth of God's Word, the principles, the promises, the power of God's Word, that's what keeps me going. Let me give you four keys to unlocking God's Word. Really quick. First of all, <laughs> we have to study it. 
My faith is strengthened. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says that. My view of the world is shaped by the word of God. Uh, Study the real thing to identify the fake. We have to study God's word. I have to know what is true rather, I, I focus on what is true rather than just what is false. If I know what is true, then when something comes and slaps up against it, then I know what is false. If, if it's not true, then it's false. So I need to know what's true. When you study God's word, because of the, he said, um, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was, was with God, and the word was God. When I study God's word, I get in relationship with Christ. It builds my relationship with Jesus. He talks to us by his word. That brings me to a second key to unlocking God's word. You see, and and that's this, memorizing scripture makes this kind of connection between God's word and our minds more constant, more deep, more transforming. We memorize it. Another key to unlocking God's word, you study it and then you memorize it. Now, remember this, quoting of scripture was done even by Satan. (laughs) Remember, Jesus has been out in in the desert He's been tempted 40 days, 40 nights, no food, and Satan comes along and and starts quoting Scripture to him. All right? Knowing or even memorizing God's Word doesn't mean that you're abiding in God's Word. John chapter 5, Jesus is looking at at religious leaders who knew the law. They had it memorized. They would have much of the the, the Pentateuch memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they'd have it memorized. And he said, but the law of God does not abide in your hearts. But memorizing scripture is a key to unlocking God's word. Hide it in your heart. Why? So that I might not sin against God. Memorizing scripture, as we've said before, gives you more to be Christian with. <laughs> memorizing scripture is a, is a defense. When, when Satan comes, I know scripture and says, listen, no weapon fashioned against me will prosper. Greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. Resist Satan and he will flee. I stand there on a church of defense. But you know what? It also is an offensive tool. If you look at the armor of God in, in Ephesians chapter 6, in those verses, it talks about the armor of God. And it says you pick up the, the sword, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is an offensive tool. Time after time after time. You see, you memorize Scripture. You hide it in your heart. And then, many times this is what happens. Listen, um, you, you, you walk into a hospital room and people are suffering. And you're there as a part of the healing team. The doctors and nurses are there and, and, and loved ones have been in that room and there's, there's a church of people that are praying and you walk into that room and you say, oh God, I am, I am a mere man. You're the Lord, but I'm a mere man. What am I going to do in this situation? And you get out of the car, truck, and I, and I walk through security, and I get my badge, and I'm walking to the room, and I'm saying, God, if I come in here and visit this, this person, it's going to be Dan visiting a person. It's going to be nice. But if I can come in, and I can represent you. And so, oh, Jesus, you got to give me something. You know, time after time after time, it's an offensive tool. You memorize scripture and you say, okay. And God from heaven drops something into your head, drops something into your heart. You say, listen, you can share that 
Or you're in the middle of it. You say, God, I'm going in this room and you haven't given me anything yet. And all of a sudden, in the middle of a conversation, something is said. And it's clear as day. You hear God say, listen, share that. You know what that's about. You memorize scripture. Here's something else. Practice it. In the Western church today, those who proclaim to follow Christ are often not very different from those who do not attend church. We've, people in the church, too often, we've adopted the same goals, dreams, and everything else, plans, priorities, all the desires that the world has. But we've been called to be a holy people, set apart, but instead we resemble those who don't know Christ many times. And here's how that happens. When we gladly embrace the truth of God's love, but we turn around and we divorce ourselves from the truth of God's law. You say, listen, oh, God is love, loves everybody. Yes, that is true. And we readily embrace that, but then we say, God is not only loving, He is just. So you, you say, listen, I'm going to embrace God's love, but you reject God's law. You know, I will tell you, there are times that, um, there's times that it becomes difficult to, to speak the truth. Now, you need to, I always taught my kids this, you need always to tell the truth, but you don't always need to be tell the truth. In other words, I, nobody likes a know-it-all, you know, smarty pants kind of person all the time. There's a lot of people who think they're the, the answer man for every question in life. Well, that, but as a Christian, sometimes it becomes difficult. You say, listen, I love, I love someone, but I, have to, I also tell them the truth. And so you have to practice it. We practice God's word. The, the warnings and the promises give us wisdom and strength to overcome the temptation of sin. So with God's word, not only do we have to study, we have to, we have to learn it, we have to love it, and we have to live it. Practice it. Hebrews 4 the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of heart. This morning, before first service, a bunch of men came into the office. They were praying. That was one of the verses that somebody quoted. It's our sword. We have a, an adversary, a supernatural adversary. He hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your children. He hates your church. He hates your God. We're not as strong as he is in our personal strength. That's why John says in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This world without Christ has no defense against the devil, none. But listen to what John says to young Christians in, in, in John chapter 2, 1 John 2, 14. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And watch this, why? Because the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. When you're living out your faith and the word of God lives within you, you, you can defeat the evil one. I love a little acronym that I found this past week for the word, word, W-O-R-D. Here it is. Want it, open it, read it, do it. Right? That's pretty good, I thought. By the way, when you open God's word, he opens his mouth. You want to know what God wants, wants you to know? Read a scripture. Here's the, here's the, here's the last thing of the last key for unlocking God's word. Be changed by it. 
John 17, 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. God's word changes us. The words of Jesus do not abide without effect. They produce faith and faithfulness. Your word is true. When, when God's word is heard and understood, affirmed and, and put into practice, when it transforms a life, that's when Christ is glorified. Christ is glorified in you when, when your life has been transformed by the truth of his word. By the way, Bible reading is the number one predictor for spiritual growth and transformation. Bible reading. You say, what can I do? And people say, well, listen, I don't read the Bible, but I come to church. Good luck, buddy. I'm not helping you very much, it appears. I preach my fool head off, and it doesn't help you. And I hope, no, I know God's word doesn't return void. But I know that you have to dig for yourself. If, if all, the only spiritual food, the only truth word that you're getting is when you come on a Sunday morning, you're going to starve to death. I'm not going to grow. The number one predictor of spiritual growth and transformation is reading the Bible. Lifeway Survey, 2008. They, they followed 2,500 believers for a year to see what helped their faith grow. Reading the Bible was the number one predictor of spiritual growth. They followed it up in 20. 2012, they followed um, 280,000 people from over 1,200 churches. Uh, those people from those churches ranged from church, people that attended churches of 100 to up to 5,000. And they discovered, hands down, no contest when it comes to spiritual growth, nothing beats reading of the Bible. So, By the way, I was in the back hallway this morning for just a couple minutes, and Pastor Chuck dropped one on me. He reminded me of this. He said, you know that you don't rise to your goals. You fall to your systems. So I got all these goals. I'm going to grow spiritually. I'm going to do all this. This is my intention. You know, I was setting goals here at the beginning of the year. Here's my goal. Here's my goal. Here's my goal. You don't rise to your goal. You fall to the level of your systems. What do you have in place? Systematic Bible reading. What plan do you have? What determination have you made that will encourage spiritual growth? I want you to quickly look with me at verses 16 and 17, and then we're done. Now watch this. Paul was talking to Timothy. He said, continue in what you've learned. And he said, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now watch this. The Holy Scriptures... which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I want, you to talk, I, want, I want to talk to you just for a moment about the power of God's Word. Well, first of all, it's inspired. This isn't your ordinary book. Inspired by God. We can preach a series of messages on the inspiration of Scripture. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which, were, which are able to 
to, to make you wise for salvation. They're, they're inspired. Um, I love this, um, this three-point outline. Uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers, in, in a study he did on this text, used these three words. It helps me to understand. I hope, I hope you can hang some meat on the bones of this, this outline as well. The power of God's Word. He said, first of all, it's inspired. Paul's talking to Timothy about the Bible. He tells him several things about the Bible. First of all, he says that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. You see that in verse, 18, or in verse 16? It's God-breathed. God-breathed. First of all, it, it, this inspiration, this God-breathed, literally means the Scripture is the breath of God. That's a word that the Bible uses to describe itself. All Scripture is God-breathed. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. It's inspir- that's what inspiration means. So it's given by the inspiration of God, and, and not only are the scriptures inspired, notice, um, here's the second word, they are instructive. So God's word is, 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 instru- is inspired, but it's also God's word, but it also is instructive. Verse 16 says they're profitable. Profitable for what? For doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is what is right, tells you what's right. The word doctrine, mean, the word doctrine means teaching. The scriptures are, are there to tell you what's right. And then, not only that, notice it says in verse, in verse 16 that all teaching, it's, it's, it's useful for doctrine or it's useful for teaching, but notice it's also use, useful for re, reproof or rebuke. So, not only does the Bible tell you what's right, it tells you what's wrong. God doesn't want us to make mistakes. He doesn't want us to go astray. So on one side, he tells us what's right, and the other side, he tells us what's wrong so we can walk on the straight and narrow path because there's one way, straight and narrow path that leads to heaven. There's a broad way that leads to destruction. Remember, God does not want us to fail. Notice he also says in verse 16 that it is necessary for correction. So now watch this. Not only does he tell us what is right and how to stay on that path, he tells us what is wrong, and, and what we need to avoid. And then I love this piece of correction because his God's word says, and if you find yourself in the wrong, here's how you can make it right. Now that's good news to those of us who are weak in the flesh. Not only does God say, here's what's right, here's what's wrong, and because God knows who we are, there's times where we say, listen, when you fail, here's your road back. It's profitable for correction. correction. Scriptures are inspired, they're informative, or they're instructive. Now this last thing, they're instrumental. What are they instrumental in? All right. They work powerfully in our lives. Look at verse 15, Paul told Timothy, the scriptures that are able to make you wise into salvation. God's word draws you to himself. It's the gospel, the message of the Bible, the gospel that saves us, makes us wise into salvation. That's why every preacher needs to preach the word of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. So the gospel or the scriptures are instruments in salvation. But watch this. Not only are they instrumental there, they are in salvation, they are instrumental in sanctification. Look at verse 17. It says that the man of God may be perfect. So God's word is the thing, the gospel, is that we see and hear and know and he calls us into himself. And then as we're walking in faith, we're on the, we're on the Jesus road. And then there's this, this instruction. There's, it's in, instrumental in, in helping us to become perfect, to be not, not perfect in the sense that we do no wrong, but perfect in our standing before God. Complete. It means mature. It means full-grown. 
If you want to be, you know, uh, new babies, desire the sincere milk of the word so that you may grow thereby. Paul was addressing the Corinthians in other places. He said, listen, you guys are still drinking milk when you should be eating meat. It's mature, maturity, being mature in the faith. Is this too much for you? Not only are they necessary for salvation and sanctification, but I love this. It's necessary for service. Thoroughly furnished, he says, in verse 17, unto all good works. Everything God wants you to do, he furnished through his word. Saved, set apart, and serving. So that you're complete, thoroughly, through and through, furnished from the Bible. All I need to know all I need to have revealed to me in God's word. And just, this is extra. There's joy in it. Psalm 119 says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his path. You want joy, you want happiness, you get it from the word of God. You see, I remember years ago, I mean, I was in college, and I bought my first computer. You know, back in the day, um, you know, the computer I have now has got this whatever fancy chip in it. Back in the day, you know, it was like a 686 and uh, 486 and 386 and 286, or 88, I guess it was uh, the, you know, and I had an 088. It was a I mean, it had a five-and-a-half-inch floppy drive. Um, and, and I bought the thing, and I, I hooked it up, and, and I plugged it in, the monitor, and got all the... And it would do nothing but beep at me. Beep, beep. I pushed all the buttons, you know, took the keyboard. Ran, I mean, I pushed every button there was. Had to get out the manual to figure out how to make that thing run. God's Word... It's a light and a lamp for our feet and our path. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You want to be blessed? The Bible is a book of happiness. Oh, it'll talk about coming through the hard times. But God will see you safely through. I'm going to invite the team to come. They're going to lead us in our closing song. Let me finish with this. Last illustration. William Tyndale wanted to get the Bible printed so that the people could have it. He wanted to put it in their own language. You know, it, um, translate it from the original Hebrew, the Old Testament, the Greek of the New, and the Latin. He wanted it to, to be in the hands of English people, English-speaking people, and, and he was there in England, and there were those in England who, who thought the word of God should be only in the hands of the professional clergy and a few in leadership, and they ran him out of England. Tyndale found himself in Germany, and he set out to print the Bible. He wanted to get the, hand, the Bible in the hands of people, and so laboriously, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, he was setting that type, typing, setting the type, that, you know, not the way we, we set it today. It's not as simple as walk up to the copy machine, cut and paste and do whatever else. Painstakingly, heartbreakingly, 
he spent years so that the people could have the word in their own hands. He finally got it set. History records that before he was able to get the printing started, people broke into where he was at and they destroyed. Vandals came in and wrecked the printing press and destroyed the type and ruined the whole thing. He had to start over. From the top to the bottom, he had to set the type again and then he finally got it done. Some of the clerics, some of those in leadership, uh, they didn't like it at all. He, he would take the Bible, he would hide it in barrels of flour and, and ship it back to England. Some of the leaders hated Tyndale because of it and hated him so much they wanted to kill him. And History records ended up strangling him to death. It wasn't good enough that they strangled him to death, strangled the life out of his body. They, they burnt his body. Before he had completely died and the life being strangled out of him, he, some of the last words he spoke, as they were strangling him, he said this, Oh God, oh God, open the eyes of the King of England. Open his eyes. They killed him in 1536. In 1611, the first version of the King James Version of the Bible was printed. Open the eyes of the King, the King James Version. From there, in English language, the Bible began to spread. William Tyndale, a man who loved God's Word, a man who died for God's Word because the Word of God lives and abides forever. The grass withers. The flowers of the field, they fall away. But the Word of the Lord, it endures forever. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.